So let's be honest. When we get together as people, I'm not just talking about the people that are around you right now, but I just mean in general. When we are together, sometimes relationships can be difficult. I, l- I love this story. You probably saw this a couple of months ago. It's actually a tragedy, uh, but there was a, an employer-employee relationship where there's a manager at a car repair company that uh, their relationship had gotten strained and he ended up resigning, but he was owed a couple of weeks worth of uh, pay. And so he reached out to the, the owner of the company and he was frustrated with them. And so it ended up involving the U.S. Department of Labor and uh, just this complex thing. And then one day he comes out of his house and in his driveway, he was owed about um, $915 and on his driveway, his employer had gone out and gotten 91,500 pennies and put them in the middle of his driveway, all right? Now, you guys know, like, there's been, like, this coin shortage that's been going. Can you imagine the work? And it was, like, down to the penny, we're told. Like, somebody counted this, right? And, and, and you hear this story, and you just think, are you kidding me? Like, how much do you have to be angry at somebody to do that? I want you to hear some other lawsuit-type things that have happened over the last few years. A guy sued a girl for their first date um, because she was on her phone too much. And after um, the, the case was dismissed, um, they, she agreed to pay back the $17.50 for uh, the movie ticket price for the Guardians of the Galaxy that they went to watch together. The, uh, there was a man who sued a couple. You can't even make this up, right? The man sued a couple who he had kidnapped, and uh, he sued them because they did not help him escape when the police came to arrest him. A 15-year-old in Spain sued his mom for taking his phone away, saying that he needed to do his homework. Uh, he lost the case. Uh, a man in Portland uh, tried to sue Michael Jordan for $600 million because he looked so much like him that uh, people met him in the streets and distracted his normal life. Uh, the last one uh, stands out to me. There was a woman in Israel who sued a weatherman because he said it would be sunny and it rained and uh, uh, and uh, she ended up settling for $1,000 he paid out in a a sincere apology Uh, I would guess our weather people in Northeast Ohio would probably not have a lot of money left over if we uh, went by those rules you know relationships are tough let's be honest every every one of them whether they're in the church outside of the church I have found that every time that I am involved in intimate relationships with other people, they're complicated. And these are the people I choose to be in relationship with. Or at times it's my bosses, it's my friends. It's, it requires effort. And God's not ignorant of that fact. He knows that about us. And as we turn our hearts and minds to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, we're going to see verses that talk about conflict. And I'll just remind you that God has a job description for you and I that's especially blessed in the Beatitudes. He says, blessed are the peacemakers. And, and I want you to think about that term, peacemakers, that we are people whose job it is to help there to be peace in the relationships that are around us, that we recognize that in the midst of conflict that we can be people who choose to live at peace, the way Romans puts it, live at peace with everyone as long as it is up to us, that there's a part of this process that we can actually glorify the Lord through the way that you and I deal with conflict. And I've said conflict's inevitable. I had had a rude awakening 
healing in this area. When Allie and I were first dating, I won't share with you any of our conflicts, um, but I will share with you that when we were dating, going into our marriage relationships, a, a counselor had recommended that we'd sit down with couples who we respected their marriages. So we sat down with some, one of them had been married for over 50 years, others that were, were married, and there was a wonderful Christian couples, amazing people. And one of the things that just kept showing up when we sat down with them, we'd ask them questions. How have you stayed married? What's it mean to love one another? How have you, what are some of the decisions that you made? And every single one of them talked about conflict. And it shocked me. But they talked about conflict and the ability to resolve conflict and how essential that's been to their marriage. And so for Allie and I, from the beginning, one of the things that we recognize is that there's going to be days, believe it or not, when we don't see eye to eye. There's going to be times where even though we're each other's best friends, we care about each other, that we chose one another, that there's going to be times when we wrestle with what it means to love one another well. And the Apostle Paul's very aware of this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, he's going to talk to us about how Christians ought to uniquely deal with conflict. How we ought to be people who are not ignorant of conflict, but instead that we dive right into it. And the question that we're going to keep thinking about is, how can I God, honor God in the midst of conflict? How can I honor God in the midst of this relationship? How can I do this in such a way that it brings glory and honor to the name of the Lord? Because getting this wrong has a way of tarnishing the reputation of Christ in the world that's around us. And so what I'd like to do uniquely this morning as we wrestle with what it means for us to live at peace with everyone as long as it is up to us, as we strive to understand how to deal with conflict within our relationships, all of them, mother, daughter, father, son, parents, grandparents, that I want to read through the, the seven verses that we're going to study together in their entirety because they help us to remember something, and that is conflict for the Christ follower ought to always be done through the lens of the gospel, that, that God's done something for us. He's not given us what we deserve. So I want you to see this, and I want you to hear this as we look through this. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. Paul says this, when one of you has a grievance against one another, and pause there for a second. He doesn't say, say if, he says when. When one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare to go to the law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? Or do you not know that the, the saints will judge the world? Then if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that we are going to judge angels? How much more than matters pertaining to this life? So if you have such cases, why do you lay them before those who have an, no standing in the church? I say this to your shame. Shame on you. Can it be that there is no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute between the brothers. But brother goes to law against brother and before unbelievers to have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? I, I saw a, a sign yesterday that said, said why wait, litigate? <laughs> That's what it said. We, we live in that world, don't we? Uh, why, why wait? Why, why not uh, pursue your rights? Why don't you fight for what is all that you can get? Well, what does it mean to defend yourself? And I want to contrast this with, with wise advice that a professor gave to young lawyers. He says this, discourage litigation, 
Persuade your neighbors to compromise whenever you can. Point out to them how the nominal winner is often the real loser. I want to pause there for a second. When we press into doing conflict the way the world does conflict, often there's not a winner and a loser, but there's really two different degrees of losers. He says how often it is that that winner is the real loser in fees and expenses and waste of time. As a peacemaker, the lawyer has a superior opportunity of being a good man. There will still be business enough. That was Abraham Lincoln who said those wise words. And I think they echo some truths that we're going to study together this morning. I want to give a few clarifications here. This is not about all potential lawsuits. Paul is addressing the local church in a unique time period dealing with matters of property. And uh, there's a book that I'm going to recommend that's called The Peacemaker by Ken Sandy. And in this book, he outlines a number of different pathways towards avoiding litigation, mediation, and in the church, some of the deep questions that come when we take some of the principles that are taught today. And I want to clarify, I think there are times when it's appropriate to uh, press charges. It's appropriate to defend uh, desperately upon the laws of the land. And sometimes the answer is that there are times that are appropriate to take a matter to law. But here what the Apostle Paul's doing, and I want you to catch this, this is so important to us, and I'm afraid that we may have forgotten this, is that he is worried about defending the reputation of God. Not that God needs that protection, but in the local church context, he's saying the things that we're doing is, are, are shameful because God's given you what you need to help to work through these conflicts. You have the, the capacity through the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. So, so when we look at this, and, and even Paul himself at times depended on due process and the ability to depend on the law, they're established, we believe, by God's ultimate authority. But I want you to understand as we talk about this that, that trivial cases brought before unrighteous judges, in that process, what can happen is it can strip Christ followers of some of the responsibility and authority that they've been given to help a world to see. Remember what, what Jesus said, by this shall all men know that you are mine. Why? Why? Why would, by your love for one another. And in a way, that term love, when we connect it to grace, when, it, when we allow ourselves to see conflict in relationships through the lens of the gospel, what happens is that we allow ourselves to represent God's love and kindness in the most difficult parts of our life. And that's how we do life together, especially when it's difficult. And so this message, the, the first point of this message this morning that encourages me, and I hope it encourages you, is you have, according to the Apostle Paul's teaching here, what you need to handle conflict well. Uh, it's terrible when you don't have what you need, right? You know that moment when you get out of the shower and there's no towel there. Uh, maybe even, or even worse, and this maybe deserves litigation, is when somebody before you used all the toilet paper. You know what I'm talking about. Don't point, that's rude. Um, but you guys know what I mean, right? When you don't have what you need, it's obvious. And what the Apostle Paul is saying to them is you have what you need. Let's unpack this in verse six, chapter 6, verse 1. He says, when one of you has a grievance, this, this word in Greek is one that emphasizes legal action, something that's serious, it's a technical term. When one of you has a, a grievance against one another, and I'll remember, remind you, when we're talking to, about the church in Corinth, these are believers that the Apostle Paul loves. 
And we've called this series the unpardonable church, or the prodigal church, not because it's unpardonable, but it's because he wants so much more for them. You, you, you're better than this. You, you don't have to fight your fights in the way the world does. You don't have to depend on the courts in the same way when there's a, a trivial battle that's, that's taking place. There's actually a winner and a loser when we depend on the Lord Jesus Christ to ultimately allow it to be clothed in grace. He says, when there's, there's a grievance against one another, does he dare? He's shocked by it. Do you dare go to the law of, um, and unrighteous and, sit and bring something for judgment before the unrighteous instead of the saints? So, so here he's talking about local magistrates that were made up of mostly unbelievers that would be left to settle their battles. And he says this in such a way that reminds me of something. And I believe this. I believe this after 25 years of pastoral ministry in, the, in, in my latest memories in my life that I have of just recognizing, con like relationships are hard, but conflict always provides opportunities. And so when he says, when you run into these problems, I think he's talking about the inevitability of it. But it, beyond that, I believe that there's opportunities for us to glorify the Lord, to lift one another up, to affirm and encourage one another when we go through times of conflict. I want to celebrate the fact that people have done that with me in my life at times. They've loved me enough to speak truth and love into my life. And it has done the opposite of tearing down, but it's helped to build up. I'm grateful for that. When we lived in the Bahamas, there was this incredible aquarium that we would visit often. And uh, some of you have been to Red Lobster where you see the little lobsters that are um, in that tank. Um, well, they had a version of that. It wasn't for those that are being prepared to be eaten. It was this really neat saltwater tank. And the Bahamian lobster is a spiny lobster that has long whips. And there's hundreds of these lobsters in this aquarium that you could walk through. And so you're kind of looking around. They're all above you. And I, I used to just love to go to this aquarium. And, and there was a specialist that came by while I was just checking this out. And he said, if you look really carefully, there's something very fascinating that's happening in this tank right now. He said that these particular lobsters go through a molting process, kind of like a snake does with its skin, where their, their hard outer shell will, uh, will, will end up having to be broken out of, and then they'll develop a new one. In, in that time period, they're incredibly vulnerable. And so what they'll do is they'll hide in the cracks. They'll, they'll, they'll come. And he, he showed me examples of this as it's happening around us. And, and I'll be honest, as I heard this, as he describes this thing that happens with these lobsters in this weird tank and it happens in, in the wilderness, out in the ocean all of the time, what I thought about was what happens in the church sometimes. What I thought about is what actually happens in our homes sometimes. What I thought about is what happens when brothers and sisters stop treating each other like brothers and sisters. And in fact, when they find themselves destroying one another. It's terrible, isn't it? And the reality is the local church has been a place where historically that's happened sometimes. And so the Apostle Paul is going, hey, that's not us. We, we don't do that to one another. We're, we're better than that. We, we care about each other. We, he keeps emphasizing brother. Don't get caught up on that. It's brother, sister. It's relational family that church is designed for it to be. 
And so what he's warning is, is hey, conflict's inevitable. Getting it wrong is devastating, but it, getting it right provides beautiful opportunities. I, I love the way that Ken Sandy puts the, he defines conflict this way, um, and it's on, it's on the, the screen here in his book, um, The Peacemaker. He says that conflict is a difference in opinion or purpose that frustrates someone's goals or desires. Oftentimes, I think this happens in our lives where you can literally, hey, welcome to being married for 20 years. I've learned this. We can have a topic or an idea that, that I look at from one perspective and my wife looks at it from another perspective. And if we're really honest, it's probably not that one of them is right or wrong, uh, but to us, we see it from our own perspective. And what we can find ourselves doing, this is really important. I love this quote, read it in a book one time, is that we can find ourselves fighting hard to be right and not necessarily fighting hard to be righteous. We, we can find ourselves fighting hard to be protecting our rights and in that process, neglecting what it means for us to be righteous people. And here Paul's saying, you're better than this. And uh, later, Ken Sandy says this in his book. He said, if you get this wrong, you can K-Y-R-G. You know what that stands for? You can kiss your relationships goodbye. You get that, right? You get this conflict thing wrong and it can just destroy, it can leave, leave damage. Uh, it, can, it can destroy and leave a wake of destruction behind it. So, so the reality is Christ's reputation is what he wants us to fight for. Christ's reputation is that he nurtures and mends together the body of Christ, not rips it apart. So you and I need to resist a natural inclination. I want to point this out. That, that is very natural for us. Some of us, it's to escape got to flee from conflict. For others of us, it's to attack when we feel the pressure of conflict around us. And I'll tell you, both of those two are very dangerous. We'll unpack that a little bit later. But I'll just gently remind you this morning, what Paul's saying is that we need to see conflict through the lens of the gospel. We need to remember that Christ died on the cross for our sins. If we've received that, we understand he's forgiven us our gazillions of sins. And he's asking us to be willing to offer grace to those who sin against us at times. So when we see the gospel through, uh, when we see forgiveness and relationship and conflict through the lens of the gospel, sometimes some of those things, and I found this in my own life, we just decide they're not worth the fight. We, we literally overlook an offense. And in, book of, in the book of Proverbs, Solomon in his wisdom puts it this way. He says, a man's wisdom gives him patience. It is to his glory to overlook an offense. And at times we do that. And hey, praise the Lord. There, I'm so glad that some people have done that with me. Hey, I'm, I'm going to assume the best about what he said. That hurt my feelings, but I'm going to assume the best. I'm going to assume his intent wasn't evil. I'm going to trust that he cares about me. I'm going to trust that, that at this point she wasn't trying to do something evil or wicked. I'm going to overlook an offense. And I want you to understand that overlooking an offense can, can be a form of forgiveness. It's a form of giving grace. And I want to encourage you in that, that that can be a beautiful step in our ability to deal with conflict in our lives. I'll also remind you, kind of like what, what that quote from Abraham Lincoln said earlier, is giving up doesn't always mean that we lose. Sometimes we need to sacrifice the right to be right for the sake of others and God's reputation. At the end of this section in verse 7, it talks about, hey, why, why not just give up 
your financial um, blessing for the sake of unity. He's saying it's so valuable. And I'll just remind you, the catch with this is this is a form of forgiveness that involves deliberate decisions to, do you guys remember in 1 Corinthians when it talks about love, it says, love keeps a great tally and record of all the wrong things that everybody around us has ever done. You guys remember that? Um, It doesn't say that. I hope you're awake enough to know that. It says, love keeps no record of wrongs. And so what, what it's saying there, I, I like the way this, this is stated. This is a form of forgiveness and it involves a deliberate decision to not talk about it, to not dwell on it, or to let it grow into a pent up bitterness or anger. Yes, God did not give you and I a delete button in our lives. He, we don't have that. We don't have the ability to delete the memories of those people who've sinned against us. But what we celebrate, what we recognize is that, is that when we clothe it in the love of Christ, that at times it's a responsibility of ours to just uh, clothe something in kindness and in grace and forgiveness. Sometimes, though, we, we accept from this passage that we're studying that we need a little helping hand in the process. Paul speaks about this in Matthew 18 when it talks about conflict. It talks about at times we need to bring a brother or sister along with us in the process of exercising confrontation. I, I think that we see this flow out of this, that, that here we see this, this discernment that's a gift from God. And at times that discernment is going to pan out through the wisdom and blessing of other people who are a part of the process. Other people who are Christ followers filled with the work of the Holy Spirit. In John 14, 26, it talks about the Holy Spirit and it says, His Spirit will teach you all things. In John 16, 13, it says, The Holy Spirit will guide you into all truth. And so when the Apostle Paul talks about this in verse 2, when he says, oh, do you not know? Um, So now he's saying this rhetorically. In other words, he's saying, you should know by now that the saints will judge the world. Well, this this probably gets us hung up just a little bit because it comes across weird. He's going to talk about us judging angels. And what's fascinating about deeply studying God's word in this area in Daniel 7, 22 Matthew 19, 28, Luke 22, 30, Revelation 2, 26 through 29. These are references to the role that Christ's followers are going to play in God's establishment of his kingdom and that he's going to share with us the responsibility of, of, of judging in a way that affirms and lifts up his will to be done in the life of those who don't know Christ at that time. It's a fascinating role. So he's saying, you have this responsibility on your horizon. I've given you through the work of my Holy Spirit what you need. And it says, and if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that we are to judge angels? How much more than matters pertaining to this life? So so this leads us to the second point this morning, and that is the way, to res- the way that you and I choose to resolve conflict, it really matters. It's important. In verse 4, it goes on to say this, So if you have such cases, why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? I say this to your shame. Can it be that there's no one among you that is wise enough to settle a dispute among, between the brothers? Let me give a, a, a point here, a sub-point out of this that is important. And that is, when we talk about community, when we talk about doing church together, part of the, the challenge for us is to be in communities where people know us, that they can help us through this. And if you're in an intimate, small group setting, if you have 
church-based relationships, if you're with people that can help to hold you accountable, it's easier for them to come alongside of you and to affirm you and to encourage you and at times exhort you. Maybe you're looking at this from the wrong perspective. This is, but brother goes against brother to, the, to law against brother and that before in front of or in, in, in the light of unbelievers' ability to make this these decisions. What he's saying here is by going to secular courts to settle your church problems, you seem to be saying that there's no one in your church that can help you settle these matters. And in a way, it tarnishes the reputation of Christ. So clearly this church didn't understand their identity, their ability, their capability to be a part of peacemaking within their church family. And uh, we know this. I've already hinted at this this morning, but bad conflict has ugly consequences. Uh, Here, Paul is saying, we abdicate our influence to others who might not have God's best interest in mind when we depend on other non-believing judges. And ultimately, what we find ourselves doing is we fight what I would say would be the wrong enemy. So if Ali and I are in a conflict together in our marriage relationship, we care about each other. We love each other. We're committed to each other. And in that conflict, what we can find ourselves doing is allowing ourselves to allow other enemies to come in that have the potential of disrupting and destroying the unity that God's designed for us. I appreciate how Henry Ironside in his blunt way speaks about this. He says, when we take our common lawsuits to the common courts, we say that we Christians are just as covetous and just as quarrelsome as the world. We're just as much concerned about having our own way and about self Uh, pleasing as you, the world, are. We recognize your judges as having authority over the church of the Lord, and it's degrading to the Christian thus to act. Do you get what he's saying? He's saying, we're better than this. We, We can work through many of these things through God's ordained gift of his Holy Spirit in community together. I love this slippery slope that's recorded in the pages of um, the, the peacemaker that I mentioned to you earlier. And I know it's hard to see there, um, but it's so valuable. We go through this in our new members class. We talk about maintaining unity. I found this to be so helpful. In that center section, he talks about what we would call peacemaking responses, things that are helpful actions that help us to maintain unity together. Things like over, overlooking offense, recogni- um, uh, uh, the, the process of um, mediation and accountability. These are, these are all things that are a part of exercising, maintaining unity and the spirit of unity and the bonds of peace. But what's so profound about this slippery slope, if you can imagine if I put a ball on the top of this, like it's going to fall to one side or the other. And when conflict is done poorly, there are attack responses that he describes. And then on the other side, there are escape responses. I find this to be really profound. We don't have time to unpack all of these, but I want you to catch this. On the escape responses side, one of the things that he talks about is denial, that we just ignore that anything's wrong. And some of you have been a part of it, families that have done that. We we actually call this gaslighting sometimes, where we look back on history and we we act like nothing's wrong, or there's there's conflict that's constantly happening. We just keep covering it up. And that's different than overlooking an offense. This is actually something that has the potential of like a cavity festering and um, becoming something that's destructive. 
And, and then the next on that scale that I find fascinating is flight. Uh, this is the divorce response. We break up, we're done, we can't do this anymore. It's, we're, we're done, we're, we're ending our ability to be in relationships. Sometimes it's physically taking off to get out of a conflict. And then to its extreme, I want you to catch how profound this is, is that you think of Saul when he commits suicide in the midst of conflict with David and seeing the end of his kingdom. And, and for some, they, they do this. And by the way, there's an a, a horrific number of people who are choosing to take their own lives in our, in our country today because they've not understood how to address the painful aspects of conflict. They've just given up, right? And you guys know it's devastating, right? Our church family's been impacted by this. And then on the other side, I find this to be fascinating. The attack responses are quite interesting as well. When you think of the attack response that we think of assault, physical assault, a person abuses someone in that way. The next, it's interesting that on that scale, he puts litigation in there, that we're, we're going to attack them to try to defend and fight for our rights. And then in its worst form, it's a person being willing to take another person's life, which we recognize was a part of the, the earliest uh, part of, of man in the family with Cain and Abel. The story is real. We take um, this, when we fall onto the slippery slope of conflict, if we miss out on the peacemaking process that God's designed for us, it can do great harm. And I want to encourage you to spend some more time understanding this, this slippery slope that he describes. Back to the text in verse, in verse 7, he says this, to have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? In other words, why not miss out on what your rights are in order to, to compromise for the sake of others? And later on, he'll go on to say, but you yourselves wrong and defraud even your own brothers. We'll talk about that next week. So he, he talks about how they steal from one another, how they aren't treating each other like brothers and sisters. And so I want to gently remind you, brothers and sisters, this morning that we each have a role in peacemaking, that God's asked us to be blessed peacemakers in our homes, in our workplaces, in our schools. I'm sorry, when Allie talks about going back to school, school's going to be great, um, but it's also going to be a challenge. I know it is. We've been through it. And uh, we're praying for you through this adventure of this week. We're praying for our teachers. We have so many great teachers at Hope. But as you anticipate this, I want to encourage you, I want to challenge you to accept your role in peacemaking and that the gospel teaches us that we ought to be people who live at peace with everyone as long as it is up to us. We have a responsibility. But I want to give you a hint as to the way that God empowers us to do this, those of us who've accepted the forgiveness of Christ that he's offered to us. And I want to remind you of a parable. So, so Peter's talking to Jesus, and, and Peter thinks that he's really spiritual when he says to Jesus, how many times do you have to forgive somebody who's sinned against you? And when he's saying this, he's, I think he's implying that he's done a lot of forgiving in his life. And Jesus' answer back, it's hard to tell with the numbers, but it's probably 70 times 7. It's this, this great number. And Jesus is basically saying to him, you need to be somebody who forgives in such a way that you keep no record of wrongs. And then Jesus went on to tell this story, and I find it to be helpful as we talk about relationships and how we understand relationships. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 18, 
beginning in, um, we'll pick up in verse 23, and I'll just remind you, I'll summarize the story here, is that there was a man who, Jesus in this parable says that he um, was a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants, and when he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, when you see that number in our, in our uh, Greek translations, we're like 10,000 talents, well, that doesn't sound like that much. Actually, uh, this word in Greek is like the largest number that is in uh, Greek that you can record. So you guys remember when you're a kid and you're like trying to count a lot and you're like at, you know, it's hundreds and thousands and millions and billions. And then it's like at some point it becomes gazillions, right? Uh, like this is, this is kind of like that where it's a, it's a massive number. And he, he says that there was a man who owed this unpayable debt. It's incredible that what he owed. And ultimately he cries out when he's held onto account to pay his bills that he says have patience with me and I'll pay it back everything and out of pity for him the master of that servant releases him and he forgives him his debt now let me tell you that is grace and and he's telling this story to say when Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins he gave us the opportunity to be servants of the living God and also to be bought with the price to experience his grace what a gift and so you hear the story it's incredible massive opportunity for him to receive this beautiful blessing. But the story that turns away from this is profound. That man who had been forgiven, in the next slide, it tells the story of the fact that he then goes to one of his servants, and he says to him, uh, bluntly, you owe me a hundred denarii, and I want you to pay me back right now. And the guy says, I can't pay you back. And so he throws him in jail. And, and what's fascinating about these next two slides, they tell the rest of the story of an individual who basically, like when this happens, the people that surround him are like, this ain't right. You've been forgiven your gazillions and you're going to hold somebody responsible for, this is important, 100 denarii. This is about a, year, a third of a year's wages. Now, I don't know how much you guys make. You can do the math right now. I don't know what your annual income is. But I want you to think about the fact that that was a substantial amount of money. Very few people would have had that amount of money in the bank waiting to repay a debt. And so it's, it's real. It's, it's something that's owed. And this is something that someone has done against you, according to Jesus' teaching to Peter. He says, he says, when someone sins against you. But what he's saying, and this is so beautiful to me, He's saying, when you understand how much God's forgiven you in your life, it makes it a whole lot easier for you to understand how to care for other people through a lens of grace. I'll just tell you a story that so impacted my life. I was leading a team of students from my youth group when we were in Southern California to serve on Skid Row. We had an incredible trip there, and we were working with the Union Rescue Mission and at the Union Rescue Mission, we were partnering with this one pastor who's a wonderful guy, so much fun to serve with. And I had been training our students to share the gospel and ask good questions. And one of our high school students asked him, uh, this man who was a pastor and uh, one of the directors at the Union Rescue Mission, they asked him how he became a Christ follower. And almost instantly, he teared up when this question was asked. I'm like, well, this is going to be interesting. And he proceeded to tell this story. He said that when he was younger, he committed a, um, a, an, an offense that ultimately led to a person losing his life. He was a part of a murder. He was an accomplice in a murder. And he said that he was sent to prison because of that murder. 
And while he was in prison, he found out that he had someone sign up to be a rather unexpected visitor. And he found out later that this happened to be the widow of the man that he had murdered. And he said that she came in and she scheduled appointments to come in. She was a Christ follower. And she came in and she scheduled appointments with him basically to share the gospel with him. Now, you guys, you understand, this doesn't make sense, right? In the, in the rules of the world, we repay evil for evil, right? We want justice. In fact, we want a person to suffer because of what they've done to us, what they've taken from us. She loved her husband that was taken away from her. But, but what she did is she modeled this passage of scripture. I think she modeled for us what the apostle Paul is reminding us, and that is we don't do conflict like they do. We don't, we don't work on it in, in such a way to try to be right, but we fight through being righteous. And so she shared the God. He, he's in tears, tells us that he came to Christ because of the widow of the woman, the, of the man that he murdered, ended up sharing the gospel with him. Isn't that incredible? And, and you hear that story and you say, that's, that's what it means to be a person who understands relationship through the lens of the gospel. That's what it means, actually, to be a peacemaker. And I'm going to guess for every one of us, I'm going to invite the worship team to come forward. We're going to close out our time together in worship. But I'm guessing for each one of us, there's opportunities that the Lord has presented for us. Some of us today, and I'm just going to be praying for you. I've, I've been praying this way this week as I, I wrestled through this passage of scripture saying, Lord, who is it that you want me to pursue? What, what relationships in my life are strained? What appointments do I need to set up? Who's, who do I need to reach out to? And there have been multiple people that I've recognized that some of these principles I've either ignored and allowed something to fester that desperately needs to be addressed or that there's other things that I need to overlook an offense and I need to release those things. And so for each one of us, I'm going to invite you to pray. Lord, would you search my heart? Would you help me to know if there's active pursuit that you want me to do for the sake of the gospel? But where we began this morning, I just want to remind you, God's given what you, what you need to be a peacemaker with your siblings, with your parents, with your grandparents, in your home, with your coworkers, with your bosses. He's given us what we need partially because of our understanding of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And especially when it comes to how we relate to one another in the body of Christ, that he's told us that, that he wants us to not be people who ignore or deny conflict, but instead that we recognize sometimes we clothe it in the righteousness and forgiveness of Christ, and at other times we address it. And if we do that, we're going to find ourselves asking the essential question of being a peacemaker, and that is, what would honor God in this situation? What is it that I can do that would please and honor God in the circumstances that I'm going through? You start asking that question, and you're going to take yourself a step towards understanding what it means to be a peacemaker. Let's pray together. Lord, we love you, and I thank you for your word. I thank you for the simple truth that you challenge the uh, church in Corinth with, that they could do conflict differently than the world that was around them, that you wanted something more for them. And I pray for us here at Hope Church. I pray for our Hope Church family. I pray that you'd allow us to be pursuers of intimate relationship that allows us to be able to maintain the spirit of unity and the bonds of peace. Lord, would you teach us what it means to be peacemakers after the Lord Jesus modeled it 
by coming to seek and to save that which was lost. We love you. We thank you for this morning and all God's people said, amen.